It's episode 122 of Leading Ladies of Corpus Christi, and I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting for my first interview for 2021. She's a financial advisor for Edward Jones. She also founded the Coastal Bend Volunteer Connection site. She's also a breast cancer survivor, which I think is just absolutely phenomenal. Her name is Carla Gardner. Welcome. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you so much for being my first guest. Well, I'm thrilled. I hope we can start it off on a good note. I heard someone describe 2021 as the hangover to 2020. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about it like that, but at least, I mean, a hangover means you're recovering, right? Right. We're, we're on the road to recovery. It's a bigger and better thing. Hopefully. I'd like to think so, too. I, I, somebody said something like, why does 2021 sound like 2021? Like they won, like 2020, the year 2021, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, no, I don't want to think about it that way either. Absolutely, absolutely not. So much about that year that we can just put back there. Right. I mean, so how did you celebrate the new year? Were you, do you do resolutions or what do you do typically? Uh, Quiet at home with family, surrounded by family. My, My mother came over, my sister came over. I was actually um, recovering from surgery. I had my first uh, lumpectomy on the 18th, which was the week, the Friday before the week of Christmas. Wow. So I was here and my uh, boys were here. My husband was here. We watched movies. We Oh, what we started to do is also watch the Lord of the Rings trilogies and yes. the Hobbit trilogies. Uh, so that's that just takes us a lot of time, and we watch all of those throughout the holiday. <laughs> Not much of a Christmas movie, but we're obsessed. I disagree. I love watching those whenever the weather gets cold and you know the season gets kind of magical and everything. Those are staples. We watch those every year around the same time. Yeah, good versus evil, light coming in. You know, oh yeah. Things. Plus the story's so good. <gasps> so good. I love that you're a Lord of the Rings fan. That makes me love you even more. So I want to go way back because you were in theater, correct? And theater was your jam. Is the fact I have a degree Yes. in theater, a Bachelor of Fine Arts um, from Southwestern University, starting with um, my experiences with Charlotte Brown at Gregory Portland High School Gold Wildcats. Oh, wow. You went to GP too? I'm a GP baby. I'm a Charlotte Brown GP baby, which is a big deal. Yeah. Wow. An 80s girl. That's amazing. Oh, I have so many ties to Portland. So anytime people hail GP, I'm like, yes, I didn't go. But I feel like, I don't know. I I feel like a loyalty to that place, weirdly. I loved it. It was small town. It was was absolutely the uh, storyline of footloose small town what do we do on a friday night um but yeah i loved i loved high school i loved theater um i did swimming and uh volleyball and cheerleading wow i mean like literally everything that's what you could do back then (laughs) in high school you could do that you could literally do everything but what made you focus on theater in particular? What was it about it that made you want to pursue it whenever you left high school? 
at that time, I was so young and naive to believe that I really didn't know that I could do anything else. And I came from a very artistic family. We, we grew up singing. I have two siblings. Um, my parents are musical. My, we, we sang as a family at church and were... Um, Always, music was always a part of our lives. And my sister went on and studied voice um, at Del Mar College. And that was, she traveled away to go to school. Because uh, at that time, we were living in Brownsville. I didn't move to Portland until later. Mm-hmm. But um, it was something I, I loved getting up on stage and creating a, a character and playing somebody else. I didn't have to be me. That was another escape. You know, I think a lot of people are, especially actors, are more comfortable doing somebody else mm-hmm. for a period of time. And I just didn't really consider anything else. I wish, looking back, I wish I had. But at the same time, the values that I learned in putting an entire production together from soup to nuts, from, yes, um, you know, the, just the staging of it and the creating the characters and the ensemble work and the team that we assemble on the front of the house and the back of the house and the lighting and all of that, that I didn't really appreciate what that was providing me in, a, in the skill set of project management, mm-hmm. which I then went on and did lots and lots of, in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I just loved the art form too. That's, but I, I love that you pointed that out because when you're in the thick of it, you know, people who are, from the outside looking in are just kind of like oh there they are they're having fun they're they're putting on costumes and um reading some lines no big deal and there's really so much that goes on like more than i can fathom and i've been i've seen it and i still don't know all the ins and outs so much work to put on some two hours of magic if you can transport somebody exactly it's it's magical and then it's gone and then, you know, comes the strike and then you look at what's what's coming up next. So it's it's always new, it's a challenge, it's never easy. No. But so rewarding when it's done. I mean, especially that yeah. opening night or only night kind of thing. Oh. Nothing 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 can come close to that. What's been yeah. your favorite production that you've been a part of? Oh gosh. Um uh, I'll have to work backwards a little bit. I when I when I came back to Corpus Christi after being away for many years, I lived in New York for eleven years. Wow! And um, was not do. I started doing. I went there right after college with my degree. I was working for a nonprofit off Broadway production company that did exclusively musical productions. And started personal assisting for the creators of Forever Plaid, um, wow. James Wright and um, Stuart Ross. So I was doing that for a little bit, but it, it quickly became clear to me in that setting that I didn't want to pursue myself uh, acting or performance at that time. So I was really looking more into management. Mm-hmm. But uh, through all of that, through my years, um, long story short, I was able to, to um, acquire certification as an American Sign Language interpreter and was in a production of Noises Off, which is complete 
um, rapid-fire dialogue, humor, overlaying lines, uh, miscues, uh, you know, people coming in and out of doorways and yeah. mis- misunderstanding. It was, I mean, it's farce. It's just complete farce. But we did it all in ASL. It wow. Amazing. That was amazing. Um, that sounds then, amazing. I mean. So, I mean, once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. Exactly. I've never yeah. even heard of this. Uh, is it something that I could watch like a video of um, this particular production? Uh, oh, gosh. No, no, no. We were a very, very tiny group of. Uh, no. Darn it. Was, it. it so <laughs> if, if there's Broadway and off Broadway and off off Broadway, we were we were. We're like way on the west side, <laughs> kind of. Um, but it was a small group, you know, just putting together uh, a show. Um, I was. It was a cast of deaf actors and actresses primarily. There were like one or two of us that were hearing in that production, so that was unique. And then um, that's very unique. And do you feel that being off, 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 off Broadway, there's kind of like a, (laughs) like an ease to it. Like y'all are having more fun than trying to get, you know, good ratings or anything like that. Yeah. I think at that time, at that time I was, it was in the nineties. We were doing it for the love of doing theater and um, less concerned about who's coming and yes. what will they think. That's and so pure. That's creativity in like its purest form. I love that. Yeah, it was, it was fun for us to put together. It was hard. Um, I don't even know how I got into that um, through, through my work, through that community. Um, yeah, well, and then you're like, yes, I'm going to learn how to be fluent in ASL. That is wild. How long did that take for you to learn? Uh, well, I, um, by early 90s, I was working at an investment banking firm and finally had some extra money and could do some things. New York is so expensive. And a friend and I decided that we would take sign language classes, and there's a a group there called the New York Society for the Deaf. I don't know if they're still there, but that's where I studied for two years. I took classes for two years um, learning the language, and then I loved it so much and saw this as a career for myself, so I put myself through then a two-year interpreter training program after I spent two years learning. So it was four years' worth of study that I put myself through to become an interpreter. And I thought I would do that forever and ever. Some of the most rewarding work I did was as an interpreter. And right before I left New York, I was getting into tactile interpreting and was working at um, the Helen Keller National Institute and doing tactile interpreting for deaf-blind clients. And that was, like I thought, the pinnacle of, of this work and thought I would actually do that forever. And then the Lord has a funny sense of humor. Mm-hmm. No, nope, you thought you were going to do that. <laughs> Wait, quick, before we go to the Lord's sense of humor, what is tactile interpreting? Is that what you called it? Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that's so, okay. I have no idea. <laughs> th- 
So, so um, rather than, well, if you're blind, you can't see what I'm signing to you. So I'll place my hand underneath the client's hand, and all of my signing will be, they are feeling the top of my hands as I'm signing. So it's still interpreting with some slight adjustments to the, the sensitivity of, of the, so that it can be tracked. They're tracking is what it's called the top of the hand. So I've got both my hands and I'm still signing and all this finger spelling is still there as one does in proper nouns or names of people, places, or things, those kinds of things. But but it's with someone's hands on top of mine. So I'm sitting, we're sitting knee to knee and there it's, and then if, if we're in a room full of deaf blind people, everyone has their own interpreter so we're sitting, all sitting, knee to knee, very close. And then if somebody's telling a joke, that's the best part is someone will tell a joke, so we're all interpreting the joke. And then you hear the laughter. Wow. And then you know, okay, we're doing, we're doing good. That you know? is great. That is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. That is an amazing, yeah, I would agree that that is the pinnacle of that particular line of work. And like you said, so you thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm set. Yeah. So yes. what changed your trajectory? What changed my trajectory? Well, I, um, I had to come home. I was a single mom then and um, needed to provide for me and my son and could not do that full time as I had done there. Um, and Texas is, uh, even though I had a national certification for um, interpreting Texas has their own system of certification that that they um, prefer, and and it was just I just was tired. I was just you know at that point I was like, how am I going to make this work? Mm. I was living with my parents again, and and needed to move on to something else. So put food on the table, basically what I was doing. So so I put it in a box, put it on the shelf. So, are you are you still fluent? Um, no, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly have friends that I converse with, um, and they're very kind and, um, patient with me. And <laughs> so I still, I still can, can get in there, but I would, would not dare, um, try to, um, do that work again without recertifying and going through the motions of, of making course. sure I was on point. Right. I, I think that is an amazing part of your journey. Like how, how incredible is that? And, and, and um, what a, like a, a neat way to be, you know, spending time and learning at the same time and helping people. I think that's huge. Uh, so when you came back to Texas, did you find that you utilized any of your theater experience? Cause I know you did, recently and as recent as 2015 you were participating in the cc7d contest <laughs> with your sister but before then were you utilizing any of your theater experience um not no not right away when i came back home i um was working um i was looking for work and and did some temp work here and there i finally landed Part of my time in New York was also spent as a paralegal. Once I left that investment banking firm, I went to the law firm that 
was working with the investment banking firm, so I had done some paralegal work, and I landed a, a gig with a law firm here doing paralegal work. And so that was my focus, and just trying to raise um, – at that time, I remet Mr. G. <laughs> uh, David and I were friends in high school, and so we were trying to find our footing there. <clears throat> so it wasn't until – then we had Daniel. Gosh, we married in 2002. We had Daniel in 2003. Uh, so it wasn't until, golly – Way later, and actually, the the production that I did here at the Harbor Playhouse, um, they were in rehearsals. They were two weeks into rehearsals with Children of a Lesser God, and Joel Early and I were friends from high school, and he was the theater director at the Playhouse at the time, and he came and said, we've lost our lead actress, who is always a deaf actress. In Children of a Lesser God, mm -hmm. would you step in? Could you come? We need you. The production's Whoa. like, we're going full steam. And I was like, let me sit down and explain why that's inappropriate <laughs> and how, how I don't want to do this. Yes. And no, no, no. Fast forward, long story short, I did it very reluctantly. Mm -hmm. um, Don Luna was opposite me. And love, I love that experience with him. That, just the whole cast was wonderful. Kelly Broca was in it. Wow. Um, it, it, was, it was a wonderful show. Anyway, that, that's the first show that I had done coming back. And that was probably in 2008, 2009, maybe. Wow. It was years, years after doing theater in mm -hmm. New York that I stepped back into it. And then I went on and did other productions. Um, As I an loved. actress? But, yeah, I got to sing here, you know, here. Then I got wrapped into the Harvard Playhouse for a while, as you do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how could you not? I feel like I would. Community theater, right. So loved it. We did Chicago um, with Jalissa Cotton uh, choreographing. And that was a huge hit. That was a big talk of the town. And then. We did Secret Garden, and I loved that, and um, and then just got away from it again. Yeah, know? I mean, yeah, life life takes you back and forth. Because I was going to ask, whenever you're practicing for productions like that, it requires a lot of your time, and you know, being a mom, like you said, and being married, and and everything. Like, how are you able to balance it all? It's a ridiculous amount of time. And, and I think that's a large part of why I was okay to step away after loving it for so many years. Um, because you're in rehearsals for at least three weeks, if not four, prior to the opening. Then mm -hmm. you've got a commitment of, well, back then, they, Harbor Playoffs used to do four-week runs, weekends. Then they got into the... Um, habit of going six weeks or longer so that's like hello <laughs> it's a lot that's my entire summer or that's my entire christmas you know holiday winter break so yeah it's a lot and and kudos to those that that want to do it for and, sure and it, those are volunteers exactly too. that always those blew my volunteers, mind which is 
you know, it's one thing to get paid and do it, you know, as a job in New York or New Jersey or wherever you can get that. But volunteers are passionate, passionate, committed people. Yes. And God loves every single one of them. Yes. And they find their passion. Some of them find it in theater. Some of them find it in politics. Some of them find it in serving the homeless or animals or whatever it is. They volunteers come in and they they own the place. You know. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's those people who really want to be there that make you know Ooh. like make it from being like a regular experience to an extraordinary experience. But what I think is really neat about you is you still manage to incorporate and like flex your creative muscles with your sister in is it Laughing Sister Productions? I it is. love y'all. You and your sister Jerry. Aww. Uh, so tell me how that came to be, because I, first of all, I think it's incredible that you and your sister like enjoy each other's company that much that y'all want to create together. <laughs> Cause you know, you hear about siblings not always getting along in that kind of way. And then of course, you know, making a film in seven days is challenging enough. So how did all this come to be? Well, first of all, Jerry, Jerry is one of the funniest people I know, my sister. So um, and she has always been, I talked to her about her studying voice and being an actress long before I was. And she's done so many things at the Harbor Playhouse here locally and, and in the community um, around. But we each had been in film on teams for Corpus Christi Seven Day prior to doing Laughing Sisters. She, you know, she had helped many times other teams I was in the same boat um and she had she had remarked over and over hey I wish we would do our own I wish we could do our own of course we don't have that skill set but I was like you want to do it let's do it let's just get our own group of goofballs together and see if we can pull this off so the first year we turned to the only goofballs we knew which was our family <laughs> which was my parents um my my husband, my kids, um, Scott Elif and Adam Elif, all of our family. And um, I don't even think in that first year we had anybody else outside of family. But we filmed uh, using our family camcorder. Yeah, those, those are the best ones. Yeah, edited this whole thing ourselves, which was nightmarish <laughs> and we had no idea what we were doing it, it was a terrible terrible experience i was very proud of the production <laughs> we put together but then the one of our dearest loves david mendez who we lost last year mm -hmm. um came to us and said hey i'd be happy to help out now david is a professional the um productions that's mm -hmm. what he does is videography so when David came in, we amped up our visual game, not necessarily the story game or the acting game, because we were still using the same gang of goofballs and then brought in other friends, dear friends, um, Dee Dee Jones and Joseph Cable and Pete Lutz to our band of gang. Larry, Larry Cashin joined us in this last one um, for CC7D. And then we were making our own um, productions. And when we were coming up with a name, Jerry and I were just laughing the whole time. We were riding over at my parents' house. My parents lived actually with my sister. Oh, so wow. we were over there doing all the writing and laughing. And so I think my father was the one who said, 
why don't you just call yourselves laughing sisters because that's all we do is laugh together. I think she's the most hilarious person around. If I can make her laugh, it's a big deal. My brother is hilarious. I wish he lived here. He could be a part of it too. But He's in Florida, right? Uh, he's in Florida. We always say Florida is too effing far. <laughs> I would have to agree. I've never been, but I heard it's beautiful. But uh, I have to say, just seeing the interaction between you and your sister and then like the cameos with your brother are just, you guys are, are just too much fun the way y'all play off of each other. And so um, speaking of your father, Keith, I know yeah. he just passed this this uh, in 2020 and um, you and your sister uh, really turned a challenging time into something. You you guys had like an outlet that I think was really important. And those were your hospice tips videos on YouTube. And and I really I want to talk about that because I think that's so I don't even know. I'm in I'm in awe of the fact that you guys were able to create in that kind of way during such a difficult time. Thank you. We. um when uh, my father went into hospice care, he we registered for hospice care, I want to say on March 22nd. And on March 21st, the day before, my father was uh, running around trying to find um, paper towels and toilet paper because we were now seeing that the stores were running out. So that was happening at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And um, so when he went into hospice care, it, it all happened very quickly. You, you, you don't prepare for it. And he was still very part of, it wasn't like he was bedridden from the get-go. It kind of evolved. He died in May, at the end of May. So we had um, April to really deal with all of this. And we were learning along the way. There were so many things. Nobody tells you what Mm-mm. to expect in hospice because Mm-mm. they can't. They just can't. So we were, I described before how I came from an artistic family where what that t- t- says to me is that we're full of self-expression. Lots of laughter, lots of tears, mm-hmm. lot of anger. We're able to go from zero to 100 easily in any direction. So we were frustrated a lot of the time in hospice about what we were experiencing and our inability to help in, in real ways. I mean, we can't, you can't solve right. what my father, my father was um, dying from mesothelioma. It was inevitable and it was coming quickly. It was like a freight train. So we just channeled that. We were, we were laughing a, just out out of the need to just get whatever we were feeling out, you know, and we'd fumble around. We would fumble around with pills until we figured out, oh, we should be using the shot glass. glass. Or we would, we would, there was a time when he was able to get up and by himself. And then there came a time when we were in the front room. So how does he communicate that with us? I need to get up, but I need some help. You know, he's throwing things at the door, and we didn't have a monitor in there. Or we were getting all these beautiful cards, and it wasn't until later that we realized, hey, we, we could be decorating the room with these. It just came to us late, or I, I can't even um, remember all the things that we, we were learning, and we were realizing, you know, other people might want to, you know. For sure. We just want to laugh. 
We just want to share with people that we're okay because people knew what, where we were and what we were dealing with. And um, so we wanted to share it's got lots of highs and lots of lows, and you're either constantly um, emptying a, a vomit dish or you're laughing about how nothing's going right, which doesn't seem like a way to laugh, but, you know, well, when lots it, of it, it what, what else can we do? <laughs> right. I mean, when it comes to situations like that, when it, your emotions are just so raw and you're spending like way more time with family than before and um, you're just really seeing each other in like the most vulnerable states you really do, like you said, experience these high highs and these low lows. Like you, you do become joyful for certain things, memories or yeah. realizations or things you're sharing. And then of course, you know, um, grief, um, like you had mentioned. And yeah. so you actually, you know, so what I really like about the videos is they're about five minutes each, like plus or minus a minute. Um, they're really, uh, important with some of the tips like the shot glass to me was genius and then of course y'all gave it the double meaning for like yes for the person you're caring for pills but for the caretaker booze loved it i yeah. also really liked there was an episode where you had the map of the stages of grief oh yeah yeah, yeah and you're like yeah we like to reflect on you know where we are at any particular time and then i'm laughing and people are like why is this bitch laughing but if you watch the video they the way they expressed it was so perfect and it was meant to make you laugh but of course you know while also acknowledging the fact that your emotions are all over the place all over the place yeah i think jerry's mine was i was trying to be very clean with mine and hers was just a scribble scribble all over all of the emotions at the same time circling around and i think she avoided it, it was a, like a page of words Yes. And uh, she was avoiding the, there's one word on there, I think acceptance, right? It's mm -hmm. all the stages of grief. We were going through this process of trying to track where we were, which was ridiculous because you're all over the place all the time. And acceptance is not, not always no. an easy place to find yourself. So no. And I feel like you're, it's not like a final destination either, or it's not like, Oh, I'm there and I'm there forever. It's like, you'll, you know, vacillate or oscillate oh, yeah. between, you know, the, the different stages. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I, when I saw what you guys did there, I was just insanely impressed. Um, oh. yeah, because I mean, you know, essentially y'all are, you know, taking care of a family member, but also making the time to express yourself in a way that can benefit others. So where can people find these videos if they're wondering, you know, of course, just to see what you guys were up to, but also to maybe get some pointers on, on how to yeah. handle hospice care? Oh, well, I think they're posted on YouTube under my sister's name, Jerry, G-E-R-I-L-F-E-L-L-I-F-F. -L -L -F -F. Mm -hmm. um, or you could do a search probably for Laughing Sisters Productions. Yes. And find it that way as well. Um um, yeah, I, and and maybe there's some help. And people were were writing to us in in response to these, saying, "Oh my God, thank you for this." But also, hey, did you know you can you can crush your pills and put them in applesauce, and that's a way to help keep wow. it down. Or, you know, I didn't know about the pill cutters until then. Or, mm -hmm. um, just so much medicine and so much stuff. But when well, yeah, you all started was, a dialogue amongst. <laughs> 
you know, other people who had dealt with the same thing and you probably got them thinking like, Hey, here's another right. tip. Here's another pointer kind of thing. Right. And I had, I'd been a hospice volunteer when I was in New York and I, I know that death is a, not an easy conversation for a lot of people. And I, we were not in any way trying to um, diminish of course. what we were, what my father was going through. He was a part of it. He was in one. He was using the monitor that we finally figured out he needed yes. from the other room. Um, and he loved it. And, and our goal was to also um, help him laugh a little, too. And... Um, and and just we just had never none of us had ever been in that position before. So um, if we can help somebody, that'd be great. Well, right. I mean, and humans often <clears throat> use humor to cope. I mean, I like I said, I th- totally. I felt like it was just perfectly executed. And I mean, like you said, your dad was there. I mean, he he knew what y'all yeah. were up to. He knows who y'all are. Uh, yeah. And um, it just seems so fitting for the type of family that y'all are. You know that you guys would would do something like this and uh put it out there in that kind of way um and i especially enjoyed the final episode um you know where y'all ended with the hugs and all that kind of stuff and i also really liked that you guys gave out the shout outs to the nurses i thought that was huge um oh gosh yeah it was just overall excellent oh thank you yes thank you i'm uh didn't know what else to do with ourselves so it was a good focus for us to yeah. help us get through some time, <laughs> chew up some time is what we were doing. No, and you absolutely did it. Uh, so now I want to talk about the really incredible Coastal Bend Volunteer Connection site. So how did you come up with this? Because I'm seeing it and I'm like, this thing is brilliant. It's such a brilliant way to connect volunteers and organizations that need volunteers. It's genius. Oh, well, thank you. It's not, it's not anything I created. Let's, let's get that right out front. It's, it's software that already existed mm-hmm. um, called Get Connected. Okay. And it is designed for communities to provide a clearinghouse of information for agencies that rely on volunteers for their mission, um, and uh, a place for volunteers looking for ways to give of their time and talent to connect online. So the agencies go online and create a profile that includes who they are, what they do, basically anything you'd find on their website, but now it's all in one spot mm-hmm. on the Coastal Men Volunteer Connection site. And um, so they share a little bit about their organization, what they're doing, and then if they have any upcoming needs, whether it's an on an ongoing basis or if it's on a specific date, um, they can post that need. And then when volunteers who also have their own user profile on the page can come to the site and they can become a fan of one of those agencies and anytime an agency puts something new out, it'll alert that volunteer who's a fan. Otherwise, if you don't want to be a fan of that agency, you can come and peruse opportunities as they are there. and register yourself and then keep track of the time that you're um, committing to organizations and um, or agencies can keep track of volunteers by numbers and hours and 
communicate with them directly. It's, it is a win-win. And yes. I, um, I stamped out a 12-county radius, and that's why I named it the Coastal Bend Volunteer Connection. And um, I was following the, I think it was the, the Purple Door probably mm-hmm. serves 12 counties or one of those agencies. Yes. I was like, mm, we need something in this, in this region. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's an efficient, easy way for organizations to find people and, um, and the inverse for individuals to find agencies. If, if, and I think the new challenge, of course, for the new year and in this time is to find ways to shift that volunteer opportunity to, uh, um, if it's not an on-site mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, what, what will that look like? I don't know how that's going to change, but we have over a hundred or, organizations on the site currently. Wow. And we have over 14,000 individuals in the system who've, so it's a, it can be a robust tool. It needs way more love and attention than I'm able to devote to it. But I set it up years ago and have been helping HEB with their annual Feast of Sharing. And wow. that's how we coordinate all of those volunteers. So that's how it's come to um, really be in existence and remain. That is really amazing. So when you first started it, and so the website is cbvc.org, by the way, for anybody who wants to sign up to be a volunteer, or if you have an organization that has events and you know is looking for volunteers, definitely hit this website up. <laughs> so whenever you first established it, did you put out your feelers and, and said, hey, here's this, you know, tool for you to use in order to organize? Um, you know what I mean? Like, did people immediately gravitate toward it or did you have to do some outreach? It grew organically. It needs someone who has more time on their hands than I do to actually provide that training and help agencies that are um, limited by staff mm-hmm. and staff time to, to manage it. But um, I was really challenged with, okay, I don't want to promote it big time to all these agencies to say, hey, you need to be posting opportunities if we don't have volunteers that are aware of it, right? So I couldn't yes, couldn't do, be too aggressive up front. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Yes. If the agency's there, but now they're frustrated, so they stop using it, so they stop posting needs, then you've got volunteers that are looking but not finding opportunities. So you can't really promote to the volunteers and say, hey, here's this without the needs. Right. And I knew that the needs, the opportunities for service needed to be as diverse as anybody wanting to volunteer in our community, which we touched on earlier. You yes. know, people are passionate about animals or mm-hmm. people are passionate about helping fight homelessness or um, sex trafficking or, or, you know, people, people find what they're passionate about. So we needed to not have any um, limitations to the site too, in terms of, what was going to be available to to organiz- uh, volunteers in a community? So it, it, it was kind. Of, it's just been slow growing mm-hmm. over the years. Most of the traffic comes in the holiday time. Of course, I will say that. And and I've heard from organizations 
that need volunteers in January and February. Yes. You know, and they say, everybody comes out at Thanksgiving and Christmas to get that good feel. Yep. Which which is great, but we still need people in those hard months as well. Exactly. And I think that's an important point to drive home. It's like, a, and no judgment by any means, but um, my, my dad's a, a Catholic and so he's like, oh, yeah, you know, the church is absolutely full on, you know, Christmas and Christmas Eve and Easter. And he's like, well, you know, you don't you only see people on those days and, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, OK, that's great. But, you know, maybe you could you could uh, help out, you know, elsewhere, not necessarily yeah. like the hyped the hyped days. Yeah. Uh, no, that that's big. That That's an important one. Um, and so what do you see, like, how do you see the website growing in the future? So I know you mentioned that you're potentially looking for, for help. Yeah. I've already put feelers out to the university. To Good idea. Opportunity, That's excellent. Uh, to, to help get, to get some help to clean up, uh, some of the databases I described. Some, some organizations, um, have a staff of two. Yes. You know, and the last thing they need is to think about, oh, well, you know, I've got all these other responsibilities, X, Y, and Z in my job description, and now I've got to add this um, other administrative piece of updating our profile on the Coastal and Volunteer Connection site. It's not, and it's not intended to replace what organizations are already doing to attract and keep and maintain volunteers. It's really a way for them to add another tool to their toolbox. Mm-hmm. So I don't want it to be a burden, but if, if we can provide a, a way to assist organizations to continue to update, to continue to post, to continue to be um, up in front of people, and then continue to get the word out to um, groups that are, because you can, you can find opportunities as an individual volunteer or you can provide a team. Yes. And if you're an organization like all these kids, my, my kiddo tracked all of his volunteer time when he was in high school on the site. So uh, it's a great place for, for kids to do that, but we haven't gotten in front of the right um, teachers or administrators to let them know about this. And the more uh, people that are using it, the more we're going to require that additional agencies come on board. I think it'll continue to just grow. Absolutely. But I'm wearing too many hats to do it all. No, I, I would. You have a lot going on. Um, probably the largest of which is being the financial advisor for Edward Jones, which, to me, sounds like such a important role to have. Um, you know, people tend to. I'd say like the average person tends to struggle with finances. So the fact that you can advise people on them is tremendous. And so, how did you get into this particular field? Well, I have been. I, I like to say I've been a member of the Edward Jones family since my oldest, who's now 20, was probably three or four. Um, I So I've been a client all these years and loved my advisor and were, was good friends. And he had always invited me to consider becoming an advisor because I, I'm all about relationships. It's all about um talking to people about what's important and and so he thought that it would be a good fit for me so when the opportunity presented itself I was in the middle of a 
changed. Um, I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. So at that time, uh, I was just before my 50th birthday. I sat and studied and um, joined the Edward Jones team officially and then um, became an advisor as I was turning 50 in December of Wow. Well, it's now, so I just turned 54, so. Yes, happy birthday. Thank you. So as I enter my 55th year, uh, I've been at it, and I love it. I love those intimate, personal conversations and the relationships that that you build, and um, they're important, so I love it. Exactly. I mean, I feel like, you know, finances are the foundation of, you know, most people's livelihoods, right? And so the fact that you're getting to be a part of that and uh, kind of guiding them is absolutely uh, important, you know, to, to where they want to go and, and where they want to end up. So if somebody wants to work with you, mm-hmm. how do they go about that? Well, I have my own Ever Jones branch over on Corona Drive, and we certainly have our own website, and they can find me there. But uh, it, it just starts with a a phone call and a conversation so that I can understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. Um, I wish I had these conversations earlier yes. on. Um, my parents, God love them, were not in a position to talk to me about preparing for my financial future mm-hmm. in, in a way that lots of people um, have, have benefited from over the years. God love them, but others, others think it's not accessible. Yes. I think there's misunderstanding about, yes. Oh, I have to have a lot of money for sure. Have, you know, half a million dollars before you'll talk to me. And that's, that's not, that's, that's not the case. Um, and every advisor is different and not everybody is, is a good fit for everybody else. So mm-hmm. it, that's when it comes down to personal relationships. You know, what are you trying to achieve and talk about goals and where you're headed and strategies that can accompany that building out those plans. Right. And I think that was another good point that you made is that a lot of people have misconceptions about when they can uh, reach out to a financial advisor, because it sounds like such a, uh, how would I describe it? Like, um, like a luxury to have a financial advisor. Oh yeah. I get that a lot. Or it kills me when people say, Oh, I'm going to, you know, they call me in October and say, I'm going to retire in December. And I'm like, oh, wow. And now you want to talk. You know, that's, that's fine. I'm not knocking those. Of course. But, but I think people misunderstand the opportunity that it is mm-hmm. to be in conversation and to, to have some outside perspective yes. on, um, on the long-term goals. I mean, certainly right before you retire and trying to get through retirement is an important phase, but right. man, if I could, I have a heart, a soft spot for young people and I am constantly trying to talk to young people because if I had somebody talk to me when I was younger, if I had started younger, I was probably too, too stupid to. Oh my advice. goodness. Oh, well, I mean, you know, we're all, we're well, we all think we know. Yeah. We, we think we know, we know or we have time. Right. For or sure. I, I can't. I can't save because you know, I've got to go play this weekend. Are you kidding me? That mm-hmm. would. That would. Um, kill me. So. Right. Well, and I, I think also. I being there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same. You know, it's like credit cards. Oh my god. 
and I think too something that could maybe give people reservations about visiting a professional like yourself is um you are gonna see all of their horrible habits. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's yeah. hard. That's that's another thing that people tell me. Oh, well, let me get my act together and then I'll come see yeah, you. Yeah, let me come with my pristine bank account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always tell people it's a judgment-free zone. Good. It's just me. I have an assistant, Jennifer. It's all confidential. There's no commitment. You know, mm-hmm. none of that stuff. See, that's nice to yeah. know because yeah, I think people go in and it's like they know they've been a little reckless or you know, haven't made the best choices. And then, but then, you know, to see it in the cold, harsh light of your office can be really intimidating. Um, But it's good to know. Information is power, right? Yes. Yeah, I I appreciate that very much. So for anybody who's looking to potentially get some financial advice, (laughs) Carla Gardner with Edward Jones. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm considering it myself. I mean, it's, uh, it's time, you know, um, to really start figuring things out. Um, I mean, especially now that I have a kid, right. I have a kid and he's three. So I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I want to open up a Roth IRA. I think like I, whatever it's, it's just those things that you never thought about that. Now you're, you're really starting to consider. Mm -hmm. Um, so Carla, for anybody who, maybe, you know, is deciding, is unsure about which route they want to go in life, um, you know, but they have a passion about something, like, what advice would you give them for the route to take in terms of, you know, should they follow their passion, um, that kind of thing? What would you have to say to them? Following passions. Absolutely, I'm a believer of passions, but more importantly, when I think about relationships are so important and I've done so many different things in my career and I I was thinking the other day my LinkedIn profile I found you on LinkedIn and I said oh preparing for this I thought you might need to know a little bit about me and I've had people say oh you want to shorten your LinkedIn information and I can't do that I can't let any of that go because each of those experiences involved relationships Mm -hmm. and each relationship was I think there to teach me something yes and was it going to be the end-all be-all forever and ever amen nobody does very few people are in one spot for 30 years anymore 40 years I mean it's it's strange to find even 15-year commitments Oh, girl, okay. look at look at where I'm at at the city of Corpus. We stick around. <laughs> well, so there are some, yeah. for sure. Um, but I, it for me, it's always about take whatever experience is right in front of you and relish what it's bringing you. And more often not, than not, it's the relationships right there in front of you that are priceless. That is beautiful. And that is very funny to me that you just said that because I started a book called The Surrender Experiment about someone who literally did that like over the course of 40 years. This started in like the 60s, I think. And um, yeah, rather than constantly thinking, I like this, I dislike this, I'm going to pursue this because I like this, I'm gonna not going to pursue this because I dislike this. He literally took every experience and made the best of it. Literally what you just said. 
and um, lived a really magnificent life. And uh, that's incredible and an amazing response. And I appreciate you so much for taking time out of your Tuesday, today's Tuesday, right? Tuesday night to be with me, um, talking to me about your, your life and all the experiences you've had and all the careers you've had and the relationships you've had. Um, I think you're amazing. I wish I had met you sooner. And uh, I'm just, I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. And this is the relationship I look forward to building. Absolutely.